0: Peggy 18. Even if we manage to pull that off and that's saying something, the real question is, who are we selling this to? Same people we've been selling it to for the last two years and whoever else will buy it. But John, if you do this, you will kill the market for years. It's over. And you're selling something that you know has no value. We are selling to willing buyers at the current fair market price, so that we may survive. You will never sell anything to any of those people ever again. I understand. Do you? Do you? This is it. I'm telling you, this is it.
1: Any comments about the banking stuff this week? Uh, Just, I don't know, macro in general.
2: Um, One thing that we got a lot of commentary on on our last episode was, I guess, our our kind of disregard for the victims of these banking tragedies. Uh, And to that, I kind of have to say, oh, well.
1: What victims? They're all backstopped. They all got bailed out.
2: Uh, I wish, I honestly wish that they hadn't. I mean, if you're in the ecosystem and you can see that this is happening and it's like every 10 years you get a reminder that this isn't safe and you never change anything to make it safer, at what point are you responsible for your money and what happens to it? It seems the traditional answer to that question is never, but I don't know. I'd like to see people be a little bit more responsible with the money that they've got and where they put it and the actors that they enable. I don't see it any different than, you know, these shitcoin exchanges. These businesses, these banks made terrible investments. Uh, They made money using their customers' money. And when the customers came knocking and everything in the market was down... Whose fault is that? They gambled, they got called on it at a bad time, and they lost, and then everybody else lost everything because they gambled their money. And 190 other banks, according to recent research, match the conditions at Silicon Valley Bank when it collapsed, which was incredibly well-capitalized. Silicon Valley Bank had something like 5% of user deposits in cash, had something like another 25% in very accessible liquid short-term investments. They had almost 30% reserves, if a bank run like happened on Silicon Valley Bank happened on any almost any other bank in America, you'd see the exact same results. And that's the truth of it. This musical chairs game, the music can stop at any time and at any bank. So with no way to protect yourself from the systemic risk within the ecosystem, you got to leave the ecosystem. It's the only way to avoid the systemic risk. And how much sympathy can I have for people that... Refuse to leave the ecosystem after repeatedly being demonstrated that that's the only way to stay safe. I don't know. Not not an overwhelming amount, if I'm being honest.
1: I don't know where to start. Where do you want to start this week?
2: Well, there's so many things that I want to talk about. Um, Where to start is a good question. Uh, Like I was just saying, I'm kind of kind of giving exchanges like Bitcoin, well, that haven't adopted Lightning yet, a hard time because, like I was saying, I think now's the time to do it. You do it in the bear market when. There's not this influx of new users coming in that are, you know, stressing your systems. You do it when fees aren't going crazy, even despite all this ordinal bullshit. And I mean, you think that fees are getting crazy now. How is it going to be in the bull market when all this shit's still going on and there's now more people and more even shitcoiners jumping into Bitcoin, trying to use Bitcoin for their scammy shitcoin purposes? It's going to be crazy. So yeah, I, I think... Adopt Lightning now, get their infrastructure set up now, get the channels set up now, because, and all Bitcoin users need to be doing these things too. Whether you're a business or an end user, now is the time to prepare for the bull market. Learn about Bitcoin now, set up your infrastructure now, set up your nodes, set up your Lightning channels.
1: Now is the time to be prepared. Totally agree with that. Um, it, it's pretty sparse out there though, because like you need a Lightning person, a dedicated person to be doing that on your team and and it's a whole other different ball game than like regular custodianship of your of your exchange wallet or whatever so i i kind of get it it's like there's not a lot of talent for this um yet but yeah i'm sure they could probably train someone up and just like you can be a junior developer here just focused on lightning only and and deploy our service that way so like maybe there is no excuse for this
2: honestly i don't i don't i don't accept it yeah i am in the. there's no excuse for this camp because one it's not that hard it's so not that hard that anybody can do it like you can do it i can do it people with no technical background can start and run a lightning node even if they've got to manage their own channels which they don't So, like, the idea that it's too hard for a well-funded corporate entity to find people with experience running a Lightning node or that, like, there's not enough Lightning boot camps and workshops out there. There's tons of workshops out there. We got conferences. We got all kinds of shit going on. We got meetups. If you need corporate resources for Bitcoin or Lightning, like, there is so many people eager to get paid in this ecosystem, too many people eager to get paid in this ecosystem, that would love to help you out. So, yeah, no, I don't accept the argument that... Companies can't do this at all. That's ridiculous.
1: What else is going on? Have you looked into your... Uh, what, what are, what, there's like some weird activity on the mempool going on associated with uh, Silk Road uh, whale coins. Have you looked into that? Yeah, what's, so yesterday... What's the story?
2: I have no idea beyond what I've already discovered. So just to catch people up, um, I have no idea what's going on here, but yesterday... I was making them transactions. Notice the fees are relatively high, you know, in the 20 sat per byte band range. And I'm like, what's going on here? This is just ordinals or what? And so I'm looking at my, my mempool instance, and it's looking like there's basically two groups of, of people that are kind of flooding the mempool yesterday that I was looking at. And one of the groups is the ordinals people, the shit coiners, just huge ordinal blocks. But the other was a little bit stranger. They were using, um, uh, pay-to-witness-script-ash pay to, pay to witness script hash addresses uh, wrapped SegWit, and they weren't using Taproot, and they were taking what I traced back to the... As of March 7th, this is an address that had held the Silk Road coins, 40,000 coins that the United States Justice Department claims to own were sitting in this address, and after the 7th, they started just kind of taking this amount and exploding it out into first uniform amounts, like they might be preparing these for lots for sale or something, and then more ununiform amounts, and just exploding them into smaller and smaller and smaller UTXOs. And then they started doing some weird things, like recombining the UTXOs they had just created. Sometimes they were even recombining UTXOs they just created in transactions immediately after one they had just sent, when the first transaction still hadn't entered the blockchain. So it would create a child pays for parent undoing a portion of the previous transaction. So just really, really strange, incoherent behavior, very expensive behavior, just flooding the blockchain with these transactions. Uh, And I guess the fact that the origin of these coins was as of March 7th, the government... Of the United States it's a little bit interesting I'm not sure what's going on there
1: yeah the, the mempool is pretty beefy at the moment I think it was right like around 720 megabytes this week it's it's dropped down to like I don't know 660 megabytes at the moment but it's it's like it's kind of high it's unusual um and we had the ordinals kind of drop off in terms of the first wave of kind of newbies jumping on the bandwagon like we had a we had the mempool clear and then we had this second wave of uh, ordinals plus this strange whale activity that is potentially pushing up fees in the fee market so it it's kind of it reminds me of like what when we were being spam attacked in the segwit um during the block size war stuff because it it is yeah that's what of, it reminded me yeah, of too It's weird activity and it and because it's coming from a potentially a government address with like like forty thousand bitcoin, it is very interesting uh to see this and I don't think anyone's pointed it out other than you it's It's interesting
2: yeah so I, I just to be clear and reiterate I have no idea what's going on here. Uh, I haven't done a, a very full analysis of this chain behavior at all. Uh, but it was something I, I did pick up on as I was just perusing through my mempool. And it, it caught my attention just because of the very large number of Bitcoins involved in this weird behavior of like splitting them into UTXOs, then recombining them. Uh, and then when I googled the address, the fact that it had a least at one point belonged to the United States government is very interesting as well. So it's a mystery. We've got a mystery on our hands. If anybody else has an idea of what's going on here or what's happened there, I would love to learn more.
1: So maybe they've been auctioned off to someone. Uh, is Maybe that's what's happened and someone's using them for weird stuff. Um, so G Orange in the in the comments is saying, It was about 9k Bitcoin that split off uh, doing this stuff and about 30,000 still sat around in a new address uh, last he looked, so interesting stuff. Yeah, that's what I was saying too. I think this activity has been seen on Bitcoin before, like just from a random thought in my head, like I feel like this has happened before in in different ways uh, and with different whale addresses. And everyone's been kind of scratching their heads going, we don't know what this is. Um, But it seems to be interacting with the fee market and it's kind of like a feedback loop between ordinals and this whale activity pushing up fees potentially. So uh, yeah, get your lightning channels open basically if you can because it's uh, going to get expensive and we're we're not even in a, a bull market. We're in a bear market and it's starting to get pricey
2: yeah, I paid uh, 35 sats a byte for high priority transactions I had the other day.
1: Yeah, some of these transactions are insane what they're paying for. Like some people are paying a million sats just to get some stupid picture on the on on Bitcoin. So it it's it, there's some retarded stuff going on.
2: It's genuinely funny watching and they're paying for the security models, so what what can I say?
1: Yeah, as long as as long as they're paying.
2: <laughs> as long as they're paying, and see, this is where some people, and maybe even I, have a problem. Is uh, you were talking about how Francis of Bull Bitcoin was commenting that he didn't like subsidizing the costs of you know this stupid script data that people want to throw together, right?
1: Right. Um...
2: Is that is that a view you share as well that you don't want to subsidize script data?
1: Uh oh, that's a tough one. Cause like, I don't know what this is gonna be used for. Like Taproot scripts have like a big open window. Maybe they can be used for very interesting things. Like the Lightning Network has been used in with Segwit. Like we didn't know what Segwit would bring about in terms of possibilities, but it gave us the Lightning Network. Uh, so like Taproot might give us something even better. Uh, like uh, I don't know, like a a crazy kind of lightning network that's even faster and more secure and can do more dynamic things uh so i'm not i'm not ready to throw out the baby with the bathwater. you know like i'm ready to give it a chance but it it's it is kind of sucky that like the first application of this is graffiti uh it it definitely colors the the experience so The first popular application maybe but
2: yeah it's it's unfortunate that this is what people want to do but that's that's how it's always going to be when you're building tools we have to accept that people are going to misuse bitcoin itself just like every other tool we build on bitcoin um you know terrorists are going to use it um human traffickers are going to use it it's just like they use money If we create something that has value, bad people are going to use it. And that's just an inevitability. And one of the best defenses we have for people misusing these things, whatever extreme or non-extreme, is our culture. We need to be discouraging, for example, ordinals because selling JPEGs with the idea that they can't be copied is a scam. We need to be against the idea of throwing data in our blockchain arbitrarily without paying full price for it um, because to encourage cheap bulk storage of data in our blockchain increases the burden on all full nodes. And that's our decentralization. And we don't want to discourage that. So I think we just, as a as a culture of users, we need to be more vocal about why we don't like this, how it's self-destructive and why it should stop
1: yeah my my problem is like it as i totally agree there's uh, there's there's not a lot of incentive for people to be outspoken against it um because the the incentives are on the other side of it for promoting it because people think they can they can scam some money out of this um and that that includes people like bitcoin magazine and and others, and mostly corporate actors. Uh, So I I totally agree. It it would be great if there were more um, little people speaking out about this, but I don't see that happening, Um, at least not. um, It'll always be the corporate actors trying to take advantage of us
2: node runners though. That's why it's like us node runners are the ones with the incentives because they're trying to make us bear these costs and we get to decide consensus we get to decide everything for ourselves so really we're the ones with the power too these corporations these would-be rent-seeking middlemen they don't hold power over us
1: yeah um i don't know what to say that i i agree yeah like, fuck the corporations that's what
2: <laughs> <laughs> see that's another thing that i don't get much about Bitcoiners is so many Bitcoiners, they understand the anti-government narrative. You know, they don't want the government interfering in their business. They believe the government can be corrupt. Many uh, Bitcoiners feel that way. But they don't feel the same way about businesses. They don't feel that businesses can be corrupt. They don't feel like businesses can be hostile to their interests or trying to take advantage of them or middlemen that you know pose them fundamental risk. And yet over and over in the Bitcoin ecosystem, we see exchanges, we see companies rug pulling, we see all these scams, we see these middlemen rent seekers that are just out to take advantage of, of our users. And their inability to see how these these two things government abuse and company abuse they're very similar yet they can't identify both of them on many occasions that's interesting to me
1: question about middlemen do you consider Casa a middleman
2: uh yeah yeah you're giving them keys to your Bitcoin how
1: about unchained capital yeah interesting okay I think that's an important point because um, like the these companies that are kind of holding keys for other people for yourself like in, in these multisigs, they kind of front as um not custodians of your keys they're, they're kind of like oh you're in control but actually no they they have a say in whether you can spend or not uh technically um well it depends on what kind of multi-sig you have but i just feel like these guys they're not they don't have their hands clean either like you got to be skeptical of their motivations and what they're saying even though um they're highly regarded at least on chain capital is Uh, i don't think casa is as regarded as it was uh because it's now into shit coins and stuff so um, i don't believe in we
2: regarding like (laughs) reputation is nice but it shouldn't be the currency Of The social currency that it is elsewhere in Bitcoin land, it shouldn't shouldn't exist. I think Len wants to get in here. Do we want to get his opinion? He's chatting up a storm in the chat there.
1: Yeah, if he wants to come up on stage, Len, if you want to come up, uh, we're happy to have you. If you don't want your, like, if you want this edited out after the fact, we can do that, whatever. Like, it's up to you. And that goes for everyone else. If you don't want your voice recorded, we'll just edit you out after the fact.
0: Howdy, could you hear me?
2: We can hear you just fine there, Len. How you
0: doing? Len? Awesome. Well, thanks. It's the first time I've ever been put on stage in Discord, so this is uncharted territories for me. But the real thing I just want to say, and I could just be tinfoil hat wearing person right now, but I'm looking at this ordinal thing, and I don't mean to talk about it too much, but doesn't it seem like it could potentially open a door for an attack where miners could be distorted in terms of the mining incentives, where they could then be asked and incentivized to mine a transaction that would include less real-world transactions that would normally be mined should there be no ordinals in the picture. And if that's the case, it distorts the whole mining model, and it's an attack that could not be sustained. I mean, this is definitely a short-term type of attack, but given the fact that money printers could create money with zero effort involved, zero real work, it kind of seems to me that there's a potential there that a nation state could do a short-term attack on Bitcoin and it could disrupt Bitcoin temporarily. I wanna hear your thoughts on that.
1: I wanna reinterpret this question because Len, that is a good question. I'm just gonna phrase it uh, a little better for Noam because it is a good question. Uh, He's talking about paying out a band and the implications of that, like could a nation state just be like, ah, we're gonna pay off all these miners to mine the way we want them to. That's basically what he's asking. Being out of
2: yeah, that's exactly how I was going to rephrase the question as well, He's bit, which isn't to say that, like, ordinals haven't introduced anything new here. A government can create fiat out of thin air, right? And they can pay miners around the world in U.S. dollars, which they can print at will, to do whatever they want. And they have organized miners to attack Bitcoin before or to uh, block regions from accessibility to Bitcoin or to censor transactions or to limit accessibility. So like these are very real things, very real attacks that can happen. They're not specific to ordinals. They're not enabled by ordinals. I don't think ordinals make them significantly worse in any way, shape or form, which isn't to say I support ordinals. I'm very much in line with you on the line on this ordinal issue, but this is not a new thing. This is something the governments can do at any time and they will miners are four higher security act- actors and someone else can hire them out of band, as Fiat was saying, at will for a higher price than we can pay them. Now we're benefited in that the amount that we pay them is outrageously enormous and it's a very difficult thing, only perhaps a nation could ever match, but a nation could choose to spend the kind of money that it would normally reserve for aircraft carriers on a limited temporary attack on bitcoin and you know our defense is we can ride it out like you said it's it's temporary our first line of defense is just wait wait and let them spend their money and they'll fuck around and find out our second line of defense as always is like miners are not bitcoin nodes are bitcoin and we can always at will choose to fork off miners in the most ultimate nuke we've got in our arsenal which is changing proof of work in some way shape or form to turn their miners into paperweights Um, that'd be kind of like cutting off a limb to save the whole. that's about the level of seriousness that action would be but that would assume that there is some successful attack by miners that is ongoing that is impacting the protocol and we've got a range of options in between those two extremes including you know social options Um, as long as there are independent, honest miners out there, censoring is very difficult. um, And these out-of-band payments are good for getting data in that nobody wants to mine, but they're very bad at blocking payments that other people want to mine, unless you control the network. And so I think that'd be my comment on that one, Len.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with all that. Just the the nation-state arbitrage, like you can just, like Russia has a bunch of miners. How is America gonna pay off those miners to mine the way they want them to? You know, so like, unless you get all nations on board, uh, it's it's not gonna happen in the way you think it is. Um, and plus, all the other factors, uh, no mentioned like just cutting off proof of work and switching the mining algorithm to something else.
0: I appreciate you allowing me to bring up this topic. Thanks, gents.
1: Cheers. Yeah,
2: thanks for the question. That's a good one. All right, let's uh, lend back to the audience. Anybody else have anything else to say? I love hearing what Bitcoiners are thinking about. There's not enough uh, just general Bitcoiners talking to each other out there kind of conversation. There's all these people kind of talking down to Bitcoiners, but not enough conversation amongst ourselves that really gets elevated. So i like to keep that up. If you got anything to say, please put up your hand, invite yourself to speak. We will have you up. I'd love to hear from you. So, there's something I wanted to talk about a little bit um, with you specifically, because I know you weren't crazy about uh, Jeremy Rubin's CTV BIP. But I see a lot of things going on in Op Vault that suggest, for example, that the recovery mechanisms from the vault are largely going to be identical to the kind of proposal that CTV was. And in fact, could and should reuse a lot of that code. How do people that weren't all on board with CTV feel about that?
1: Uh, I I personally don't feel as uh, comfortable with it either as CTV, like, oh, okay, so BIP 119 was very aggressive in terms of being, being act, in terms of activation and, and how it was trying to be pushed through by just one developer. Who kind of wanted to, I don't know, give everyone an ultimatum in a in a weird way. This isn't that case, so I'm 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 a little more thankful that people are going slow with it and there's not some kind of rush to activate it. Um, with that said, the activation um, conversation is pretty aggressive still. Like you get you get lop on Twitter with a Forbes article today saying, why ossification is the boogeyman and we need to push through upgrades to Bitcoin as soon as possible. So he wrote that article today and it's in Forbes and it's like, okay, um, I don't like that narrative um, because I think it's, it's disingenuous rhetoric. And like we've said before, the ossification argument is kind of not valid um, and I think it's used to push through upgrades that are not mission critical to protecting Bitcoin. Uh, but maybe it is an improvement. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe Fault is the bee's knees and we we all should want it and need it. Um, my feeling, though, is that the conversation around it it's not very open or transparent in terms of what are the actual costs, potential costs to this. What are the actual real benefits to this? Like give me concrete examples. And if this is just like better multi-sig management, like if it's just a better form of multi-sig stuff so we don't have to deal as much with backups and all that crap, then I don't know. Like, is that worth doing? Maybe. Uh, I I don't know. I'm just. Well, we're back to
2: all the use cases of covenants and things, right? Like, we we've got all these potential things that people want to do, and maybe some of them they can do on Bitcoin right now, but they come with like bad consequences, or maybe some that they can't. So, for an example of something that you can do right now but could be made easier, is channel factories, and this goes back to my question of. Do you want to reduce the cost for signatures and scripts in Bitcoin? Because some of the scripts for some of these things, especially the way we can currently do them, are rather beefy. So the logic in giving this discount to scripts and SIGs is that we can encourage well-optimized data to a degree, and maybe that's kind of gone off the rails here with people shoving ordinal data in there. But these scripts do we want to encourage them to be possible? And more than that, in criticisms of CTV, I know there was a lot of misinformation going around about things like, oh, this enables the blacklisting of addresses. This is what's going to enable exchanges to, you know, block you from withdrawing unless it's to a pre-approved address and things. It's like, well, they can already do all those things. I don't find these particularly convincing arguments when, an exchange, a government can already attempt to execute all of these things with no changes to Bitcoin as it is. Um, so I'm interested in what the actual real possible negatives are, not what you know the Twitter community thinks the negatives are. I- I'm looking for some real sober second thought community review of these BIPs, and I'm still engaging in it myself. I'm not totally versed in OpVault yet. I'm still trying to wrap my head around everything, but it's, I know it's more complicated than CTV. I know that one of CTV's big strengths was its sheer simplicity. And the fact that it's almost needed as a building block in op vault begs the question, why didn't we, if we were going to add op vault, why didn't we add CTV? And if the answer is the activation method sucked, well, we could just change the activation method to a flag day or something.
1: I think the complexity is trying to make it more... Uh, restrictive because OPC TV was too wide open and you could do too many things with it. But that's just my interpretation. I don't know if that's real. Uh, the other thing is um, the thought I had about OpVault. Vault. If we're going to have it, uh, do you think we should have a new address type for it?
2: No. Hmm. No, I
1: don't think it needs a new address type. It's Ooh. scripts.
2: Do we need a new address type for every script you want to go back to just having like pre-approved scripts. That'd solve a lot of the problems that you're talking about, but it would also curtail pretty much all future innovation on Bitcoin. We'd go back to the days of pre-P2SH where, you know, we just had our approved scripts and that was it.
1: Mm, okay, I maybe I'm missing something there. Um what do you mean by that like can can you kind of expand on going
2: back? Well, you know How it used to be the case that your node would reject, and I mean, still does, all non standard scripts. Mm -hmm. It's not that they aren't valid, it's not that they're not mineable. You can approach a miner and have them put a non standard script in the block, and your node will accept it, but they'll reject non standard scripts. By creating a set of safe scripts that are explicitly approved, whitelisted by consensus scripts what you can do is you can say oh well you know you can't have ordinals and things because they're not part of the whitelisted scripts you can't use them as whatever of these things and that's basically the only way i can see that we could stop people misusing things so to speak is by explicitly defining safe uses that we can all agree on But that simultaneously curtails all development of unique scripts and people exploring with programmable money.
1: And so making that its own address type would do that?
2: No, I'm asking, making it its own address type could be a way of defining an explicitly allowed thing.
1: Okay. Uh. I like see. saying,
2: there's one way to do this, this is the way it is explicit, uh, it is I see, yeah. singular.
1: I think my, my feeling on that is, I want there to be disclosure whenever a vault is used to the end user beyond the normal. Because I have a feeling that locking to an address is an expansion of our capabilities that needs disclosure to the end users. So like, instead of Sweet. so instead of BC1Q, maybe you have like VC1Q, and that that's enough to indicate that this is a different kind of address. People like you need to be aware that there's some locking me- mechanisms to um, the resolution of this script. You know, so
2: do you feel the same way about um, time locks and other existing opcodes?
1: Hmm, may, maybe not, because time locks, like, you just wait. It's, it's time-based. Um,
2: well, I mean, a, a, a CTV-like covenant or an op vault recovery-like covenant, you know at the time you instantiate it where you can withdraw to.
1: Well, that's that's if you think you like know it. it. That's, yeah. if you, that's if you were the one who generated the script. And understood it at Isn't the time. that
2: exact thing true of if you got a time lock on there? Do you think people that are using, for example, Green Wallet have <laughs> a very robust idea of the scripts Good involved question. in recovering their Good Green question. Wallet Bitcoin?
1: I don't think they do because they, many of them think it's like by the minute based, but it's, it's actually by the block, right? So who knows what that could be? <laughs> well, it's
2: just it's also just a very long time block and it, you should be aware of the conditions in which you can recover your Bitcoin. And to that extent, I absolutely agree. You know, every unique new script that allows for the different kind of management of your keys and coins, you should understand the risks of, for example, a lightning channel script has a different security model than simply holding your own keys. So every time the security model changes, you should be aware of it. You should have a good understanding of any risks that you might be exposing yourself to or differences and how to secure and back up these things. So to that extent, yeah, maybe we need education on specific kinds of vault contracts and the fact that, yeah, maybe these lock you up so that you can only Uh, send these outputs to certain addresses but that's to me that's just an implementation detail it's not really that different than anything that we already have
1: yeah maybe um like my feeling is that okay the the vault itself is becoming a seed basically like because there's only maybe two or three ultimate destinations where this thing can can move on to so you really need to be sure that you can spend to those destinations without any encumbrance uh, it's i don't know it just seems seems like that can be problematic for end users who aren't as sophisticated you know what i'm hearing you know what i'm
2: hearing in both of our voices is a little bit of fear of the unknown neither of us seems to understand op vault well enough to be fully comfortable with it and i feel like knowledge is power and this is where we need to educate ourselves and you know the other people listening we need to all educate ourselves together about exactly how op vault works how all these proposed changes work and right now it's very much in the air like if you follow the mailing list they're proposing all kinds of different op codes and sub op called codes to be part of the proposal and different naming conventions It's very confusing and difficult to keep up but keep trying to keep up keep following it eventually it'll be refined down to something that you can actually approve or disapprove of and then we'll get to the serious arguments i don't want to end up in a situation where bitcoin twitter's made up their mind about what this bip is before it's even a thing before we even know What it is before we're well educated, before we've had time to digest the information that we have, and considering it's not even final, we certainly haven't digested it. So let's all just go into all of these BIPs with open minds.
1: Definitely the the approach we should have, because like you don't want to discount it or or prejudge it. Um, I think it's getting some pretty good reception in the kind of the uh, mainstream circles. I think the people who are kind of fearful of it are on the edges, to be honest. There's not too much pushback that I've seen, uh, so who knows?
2: Uh, guardian Healers wondering exactly what you're worried about, Fiatch. That an exchange will withdraw to your wallet with an op vault time lock. That there'll be like some spending conditions that you need to meet that you might not be aware of.
1: Yeah, like uh, there's, oh, I. This is like a. a very drawn out scenario but it's like okay maybe coinbase or some other bullshit exchange is like we will only let you withdraw your bitcoin to a vault that circles back to us and there's maybe government enforcement or regulation to support that and there, there would be an incentive to do that for that exchange because then they can list that coin that you technically possess in your own wallet but can only go back to coinbase they would they could list that in their accounting as an accounts receivable uh so that's interesting yeah well,
2: what's stopping that from happening right now like why do you need opvault or ctv to do that
1: so you are you are right you said before that you can do this with multi-sig yes you can my feeling is that multi... Do you do
2: this just like with you being a centralized actor, like just refusing to give withdrawals to anything that doesn't go back to a Coinbase account or to a pre-approved whitelisted address or whatever? There's so many ways you can do this already. So yeah, I, I've heard this criticism not only from you. I've heard it a lot during the CTV uh, upgrade as well, and I didn't find it genuine at that time and I don't think it's genuine at this time either. I think that that's a fear that people have and I think a lot of these discussions end up boiling down to fear people have and uncertainty which is why I go to the like we need to learn more we need to just have a more complete understanding of this mechanism and how it interacts with all the other mechanisms I mean you and me it's not to say that the community doesn't have that understanding or that developers don't but like we need to have a better understanding because i think that'll alleviate a lot of this fear and from that alleviated fear hopefully we'll get a lot less misinformation in this bip upgrade process this next one
1: yeah i hear you um hopefully that motivates me to i like i understand the concept of what it's what it's allowing that's my problem and it's like okay i can i can research how this specifically works sure but I ultimately know that this is locking to a specific address. That is a, that is a new feature. Um, I don't feel comfortable with that. I just don't. It's, it's something weird. Um, maybe Is I, it a new feature? You can write a Bitcoin script that
2: only sends to a specific address.
1: Well, that's helpful. Because <laughs> like, is that with, uh, what was it called? Adapter signatures? Is that what?
2: Yeah, adapter do? signatures
1: are cool. What about them? Well, is that what you can do with them? Cause I, I was trying no, to no, no, where... no, no.
2: Adapter signatures are kind of like, they're what you can do to use, do swaps, okay. so, where you and I, we lock up a script with a compositional secret that you and I both have a part to, and we can unlock it together.
1: Okay, so this is important so that for, was... this is important for me because I was trying to figure out what are the conditional um, variables that can be put on a Bitcoin UTXO to, to constrain it. So like, okay, time locks, you can do it based on the number of blocks, right? You can do multi-sig can where you be, need-
2: Made unspendable.
1: Unspendable, you can burn it, right? So- so my question so you're saying you can you can lock it to a specific address at the moment I, I wasn't aware of that. How do you do that? Could you I think you could um
2: you would just write hmm. yeah, I need to
1: go and start writing a script and see if this is do this so it would be some kind of mini or, or what is it called uh simply script maybe I don't know yeah. Yeah, you will, You
2: could do it just with opcodes, I would think.
1: Yeah, I'd be interested. But yeah, I'd that. have
2: to dig into this a
1: little bit. Is that possible currently on Bitcoin? That is that's well, I know that
2: you can, for example, um, build a script with a, a time lock that is simply the kind of time lock that you can't publish it until a specific block, for example. So in that sense, you can build this transaction. You can sign it. It's a final transaction, and it is committed wherever it's going
1: okay. Oh, okay uh interesting my my brain was trying to work that through i don't think it <laughs> i don't think it processed it really well but i think i got a, a gist of it
2: so it's like i i can create a time lock yeah uh by saying that this transaction is not valid until a given block and then I can sign that transaction, I can keep that transaction, and it can, you know, exist fully signed in its final broadcastable state, but no node will accept it until that block. Uh,
1: no, that's not, I don't think that's the same as what I'm talking about. It, it's like, because you have the choice uh, to not publish that, right? It's like, yeah. You so, could sign a different transaction. Right. So I, I don't think that really applies to what I'm thinking about. But I, I do I do see that point. Uh, okay, that's interesting. I'll have to think about that.
2: interesting method of I'm lock as well, just to play around with. You can give people transactions that are only publishable later, but you have the capacity to revoke, basically, at will, which is a neat little feature. So it's good for really, really simple kind of wills, for example. You can take your cold storage, you know, I don't spend this kind of UTXOs and make a transaction that's not publishable for several years and give it to your loved ones. And then if you never end up moving those coins, they become spendable by the locked transaction, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I think Nunchuck is making that easy for everyone to do now. They have some kind of, like, um, wills or something, like a specific service for that. Yeah, the time locks are interesting. I just, I feel like people aren't aware of, like, when these actually expire, because, uh, you know, blocks aren't always 10 minutes, you know? So it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, we, there, there are scenarios where, <laughs> where things could be, like, uh, not spendable. Yeah, people aren't
2: careful. Um, and that's actually one of the reasons why for the longest time people have been discouraged from putting their coins into really long-term time locks. The kind of time lock that I am just describing is less scary because you can spend from it at any time at will, right? But other time locks uh, that are based on the block height, for example, and are in the actual script... Um, they can be, you know, you can lock yourself out of those kinds of coins.
1: Yeah, I wonder what the verification process is for, like, confirming, okay, uh, like, because, like, with a regular transaction, you're, you're kind of, like, saying, oh, what are, what are the change outputs and how much are it, or how, how much is the change? And that's something you usually double-check with any transaction, Um, so I wonder what, what the verification is for, like the time log is like, oh, okay. So you're, you're verifying, um, how long this is and making sure you didn't like fat finger a zero or a couple zeros on top of this.
2: Um, it's, what are we talking? We are talking about CLTV, right? Check time, check lock time, verify.
1: That sounds familiar sure <laughs> i don't know there's, i don't have my
2: resources in front of you but there's there's two ways of doing simple time lock in the bitcoin cltv is one what's the other one yeah and lock time and sequence and cltv i was thinking csv is what i was thinking um check sequence verify
1: there's so many acronyms <laughs> <laughs>
2: And they all start with C and have Vs in them. This is yeah. the problem. They've all got check and verify. <laughs> That's all sound identical. Um, so yeah, just to reiterate for both myself and any others that are as confused as I am, um, CSV is a script-level relative time lock. Um, it checks the top of the stack with the input field, unlike checking the time like CLTV does. So this is the silence while we're all just quickly reading
1: BIPs.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, uh, CSV check sequence verify relies on um, the sequence from the reference point being greater than an amount. Whereas check lock time verify uh, relies on a transaction with a specific date. Oh yeah, Raf points out, reading bips a few deep is hard. Yeah, it is. I may be uh, pre-gamed a little too hard for this one. Um, But let's see here. I think it'd be great to do uh, a read-along of all the ways that we can do time locks with the chat. Is that something anybody's interested in? We can go over CLTV. We can go over CSV. CLTV um, specifies a lock time type that can be either the timestamp in the block headers, or it can be uh, block height. So it doesn't have to be based on block height.
1: I actually remember this soft fork. It was nice. It was like, it just happened, and people were nice about it. At least I think they were. (laughs) I don't even remember when this came
2: into action. I don't remember what fork this one came in.
1: It says twenty fourteen or time. Maybe it's twenty fifteen.
2: That's when it was proposed.
1: Yeah. I don't know if that's when it was implemented. It was, yeah, it must have been twenty fifteen then.
2: I don't remember specifically when it got added in. But I do know that I like it. I think yeah. that the flexibility so like you were talking a lot about your concerns. Of about relying strictly on block height. And so the fact that we can do it by timestamp or height is nice. But they actually reminded me of another issue that we had during the lot true debate, which was people were saying that other clients than Core would fail for using a height, like a height versus timestamp disparity. Uh, there was a lot of talk about that that would be a problem, but apparently it wasn't. So I don't know. I don't know how the technical back end of that looked like for for implementing that that lot true client that it didn't cause problems, but people were saying it was going to because of the height versus timestamp disparity.
1: Yeah, as long as the height and the timestamp like as long as they align. Then you're fine it's kind of like a y2k bug <laughs> it's like but uh i can see if they were out of alignment then that might be an issue but they shouldn't be um hmm because you you can mine a block and it can that timestamp can be forward or backwards from the actual time i think it's both um maybe i'm thinking of something else Anyways, let's uh, let's look at this, uh, see what it's saying. Yeah, so
2: I'm just looking at the check lock time verify script example here. Um, And yeah, it's just you can throw it in a conditional so that if variable that represents the time difference that you want this thing to be time locked for. If time difference check lock time verify drop and then your key Mm -hmm. check sig verify done return one and that's all that's all you need and now that's locked for whatever variable you put in front of check lock time verify so it's pretty straightforward simple script to execute and evaluate like the example script is one two three four five six seven lines and of those most are just a single variable or term and it just takes like one argument so really straightforward um how do you set the lock time type to height versus timestamp that's what i would like to know while reading this bit
1: well, it doesn't even really specify in the script. It just says like three three months, right? So that could either mean one or the other. I guess it depends on how you type it. Maybe there's some kind of specific
2: yeah. What format do you yeah. uh, put the variable? Yeah. Yeah, it's one. So I'm just continuing to read the bit, looking at the other examples. I see the example of the green wallet address to store bitcoins in a to multi sig with the uh, added execution path of the single key time lock i think that's also a really good illustrative example you can see there how you can have i like the idea of alternate execution paths where you've got these backup options that reduce your trust in other parties even if you have to for example share custody for an amount of time you've got these options to kind of recoup that trust with some minor sacrifice in this case time i love that
1: is that mandatory for all time locks like you have to have a, a secondary backup um thing like it,
2: it has to be then one of many execution paths no it yeah. can be the sole execution path
1: oh, okay because i think that's what they're angling at with um i know they were talking about that with and maybe Oak Vault, like there's gonna be at least two um, destinations, like the main destination and the backup in case something goes wrong. So it's kind of interesting.
2: All right, now I'm getting into the nitty gritty. Now I'm looking at the detailed specification. This is where we learn things. I love that it's well commented, too. That's always the purpose of these things. It's nice when it's done properly. Let's see. There are two types of nlock time. Lock by block height and lock by block time. Distinguished by whether lock time is less than lock time threshold. Script fails unless lock time being tested is the same as the lock times of the transaction. Okay. So they they determine the type of lock time simply by whether or not it exceeds a threshold.
1: Oh, that's weird. <laughs>
2: what is the lock
1: time threshold? Because what if you're just on the threshold, Is is the threshold one or the other? <laughs> I'm going to open a can.
2: And yeah, that's, that's what we need to do, get a little bit deeper. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the thing that I'm not following yet here is the format of a lock time when it refers to a timestamp. Is it just a Unix timestamp? And by that measure, it... Like, the lock time threshold would obviously be, like, a Unix timestamp's going to be a much larger number than the block height.
1: See, this is my problem with BIPs. I want an actual example of you using this thing. Like, okay, it's nice to have a specification. Well, there's lots of
2: actual examples. Let's look one up on the blockchain. (laughs) (laughs) They're all over the place. I bet they are, but I Also, in the testing thing here, I bet you there's a bunch of examples. But, like,
1: shouldn't a BIP have, like, an example of how this is used? Just... There's tons of examples. There's
2: tons of examples and use cases <laughs> and all kinds of things. I think it's a good bet.
1: It's probably the best one. Who knows? <laughs>
2: the best. No, I like it. So reading this today, you'd support this bet, or you wouldn't support this bet?
1: Oh, that's an interesting question. Um... That's a good question, because I actually have I've never read this BIP all the way through. Uh, I was aware of it at the time. Reading it through. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't, because like I'd want to know an example of it, like in practice. And uh, maybe there's specifics in there that I want to know. Like, like you said, like, where is the threshold from... This being one type or the other. I, I would want to know that before. It's got
2: to be the Unix Epoch has got to be the threshold because it's huge. <laughs> it's just such a big number of the block I yeah, isn't ever going to approach but it.
1: What I would be checking in there is like, okay, is that when you're at the number of the threshold, is that one or the other? Because I'd want to know is if there's some kind of weird edge case there.
2: So you're saying when block height reaches the lock time threshold. Well, let's see. Um What is the current Unix time? The current Unix timestamp in seconds, not Milla or nanoseconds, is one billion six hundred (laughs) and seventy nine million. So we would need I mean, and that's assuming that we don't have the more proper, you know, UTX timestamp with three more digits on it. We need like a billion over a billion and a half blocks.
1: I feel like that's which would be impact. how how much time. See, I wouldn't approve that. I'd be like, "No, we need specific detailed different formats for these two um, thresholds." Like I don't I don't want there to be a fat finger number going one way or the or the other changing the the threshold, you know? So like maybe there's too few zeros in there and I can't see a billion on a screen, you know, like mm. <laughs> it's there, there's things that I would feel, I don't know, like see that number in, in the chat. Is that 5 billion Raph? I can't tell. <laughs> like I need, I need decimals or, or punctuation in there. Cause like, that's just a big number to me. 500 million. Okay.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I don't have a problem with them using, um, uh, Unix timestamps as the threshold. So like it's just it's. Let's see what's the, what did they say the threshold was? Five billion.
1: I I do like this question though. Five hundred like, million. Would you approve this bip if you were to go back in time, knowing everything you know now, and from like different framing and like say, okay, this is a soft fork coming up. Um, would I approve this bip? I don't know, because like I'd be like, oh, this is also some kind of uh restrictive thing on my bitcoin that i don't like or something and I, i'd be like ah maybe i don't like this for for i don't know just it just feels restrictive and i don't like restrictions on my bitcoin so i don't know maybe i maybe i wouldn't like it See, the only thing that i wouldn't like about this bib if it came up today
2: is the deployment method- deployment methodology is mask and um, i don't like that
1: yeah
2: but other than that i think it's a great bit i'd be
1: all over this bit yeah i think that's helpful because like this is my frame of reference it's like yeah everything's bad <laughs> i just i don't <laughs> like change
2: <laughs> yeah but it's only changed you because you came at a specific point in bitcoin's history and everything that moves from that or before that for that matter is change but like that specific moment in time isn't what bitcoin is or always will be like bitcoin changes even as the context around it change and i know we could talk about a lot but like this is how it was in the block size wars too there was a whole bunch of people who were suddenly furious because their use cases were getting priced out of the fee market and to them that was bitcoin changing Hmm. and they hated it and they rebelled against it but like that's even when bitcoin itself isn't changing it changes react to the context around it and to the people using it and that's always changing so it's just as static as the code base or consensus could ever be like bitcoin itself is a reactive beast
1: that's an interesting point because I, I saw this come up this week too it's like some of us are like following it falling into cash rhetoric and maybe that's that's wrong or right i don't know but it's, it's kind of it's an interesting phenomenon um, how some of these same rhetorical points are coming back in different ways. Uh, so I, I saw this with the, with like the Francis um, video that was happening uh, this week, and he was kind of outlining why uh, he doesn't f- like maybe Core has a monopoly on the situation. So uh, one of the developers responded back. I think his name's Merch. He does the optech Tech podcast and newsletter, so he kind of responded back saying, ah, "This is kind of Bcash cash rhetoric, and maybe he's right." I yeah.
2: strongly agree with him. I don't. Know. I listened to Francis's arguments there, and I was about ready to right, slap the bastard. <laughs> um, volunteer developers, there is no scope creep. They're just working on whatever the hell they want. Like, it doesn't mandate use. It, it doesn't mean that anybody else is going to include it in Bitcoin. Yeah you don't get to decide what Bitcoin is any more than they do. And if they want to build their shitcoin ecosystem on top of Bitcoin, that's what they're going to do. And it's no skin off your nose except to the point where it impacts all of our ability to verify. And this is back where we were talking about like the, the burden that nodes bear. And so to that extent, Francis is correct, but this isn't Segwit's fault. This is the fact that the things that we want in bitcoin in terms of like the futures of programmable money and the infrastructure of the world that we want to build on top of it allow the allow people who want to misuse it a lot of flexibility and that's in my opinion unavoidable and it doesn't mean the devs control bitcoin and it doesn't mean that core is the only repo he cites statistics about how core is the most used repo out there and thus core devs control bitcoin core devs don't get to decide what software you run on your computer there are other repos out there there are other repos using core's backend, like knots his arguments about you know we don't even have any you can't have any because they're going to be out of consensus are just completely fallacious we've got btcd which did fall out of consensus just this last year and still no major problems no as far as i'm aware loss of funds even though it was entirely possible with people's lnd nodes being able to go online The devs do not control Bitcoin by every practical and observable sense. They don't control the code that goes on your computer. They have no means of controlling the code that goes on your computer. And then volunteering their time to do whatever things that you do or do not agree with impacts you in effectively no way whatsoever. Good rant they want to work on like covenants and build their shitcoin factories and even misuse the block space as itself like we can have discussions and i'm very interested in these discussions of whether or not we want to continue subsidizing block space and scripts i think that's a very interesting discussion but the idea that devs are going to use the block space for anything they can reason to do so short or long term of course they always have They as well this isn't new this isn't this is just how it is it's a tool it's a platform people are going to use it get used to it francis <laughs> and it's unfortunate because like i agree with francis on a lot of these points of i think these are misuses of it and i don't want my node to subsidize these jpegs but like do i want my node to subsidize other kinds of scripts maybe i do maybe um If we're going to be subsidizing these things, I also am interested in conversations about block size. Maybe the block size is too big.
1: Maybe we need a smaller block size. Go for a 300 That would be good for everybody,
2: and we could drive up these.
1: You're going to go for Luke's uh, 300k. Oh, well, that?
2: (laughs) But what if we removed the witness space discount and it was just 1 MB? It would be just 1 MB. Could be 2 MB. Could be 3 could be half. Like it could be smaller than it is. As to what's the right number, I don't know, but making it smaller could have some possible beneficial consequences such as driving up the fee market and making it l- more expensive for people to be misusing Bitcoin for things that aren't worth it, like scams. Uh it could have the benefits of making it easier to onboard people in the future that are fully verifying nodes. Um so it's got the downside of people have to pay more both short and long term for fees. But I think that in the long term, they're going to have to do that anyway. So Is that I a... personally wouldn't, I would, I would have to take a very serious look at a proposal to reduce the block size by, by way of redoving, r- removing the segwit discount.
1: I have a question about the fees. Like, can that be enforced at the mempool level or does it have to be a soft fork?
2: You can't really enforce anything at the mempool level at all. Because every mempool is individual.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm just saying there's defaults, and those seem to matter. But, um, like, there's... So, like, a soft power is to change the Bitcoin core default for the mempool policy. That is something. It's not everything. Like, it would take... See, no, no, no. People including
2: for example moon and Bitrefill ceos they believe that those default mempool policies have a power they don't have and i don't want you to have that same impression because they don't (laughs) when the mempool policy was you can only have specific scripts in your bitcoin transactions we still saw scripts that were outside of those limitations be put in blocks when it was you can only have fees that are higher than one sat per byte to be propagated in the mempool we still saw transactions that were free and we saw double spends in blocks so you're still going to have all of the possible potential bitcoin transactions that you can have regardless of what you set your mempool policies to
1: yeah that's fair i'm just saying it might be easier easier than a, like a soft fork or or something but yeah but it doesn't accomplish anything hmm
2: Except for for you. Like, for example, if you run whatever, the Ordinal Disrespector patch, like that for you reduces your mempool usage and your bandwidth a little bit. And I think that that's useful for you. But the network doesn't really give a flying anything. Hmm.
1: That's interesting. It doesn't go the other way. It just goes on the individual level.
2: Hmm. That's what nodes are about. They're individual sovereignty. They aren't a power for me to impact you.
1: Yeah, and plus, like, just deploying that, like, with a new version of Bitcoin Core, it's, like, you got to wait for everyone to upgrade to that, so it's a long tail. Like, that's, they're they're just going to be... Oh, there's
2: some ancient versions of Bitcoin Core still floating around out there.
1: Yeah, I'm starting to think of, like, it's probably a good idea to run your node version for as long as you can, and just, like, if you need to... Like boot up a new system with with uh, the upgraded version of core or whatever you use because like maybe um, you find interesting interactions with the old software uh, versus the new. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think there's something to that, but that's if you have a lot of well, that's time happened to before
2: play. and it's caused us you know trouble before, for example, when we had the what was it 2013 Berkeley DB split over a large block and new versions of core split from old versions of core. So like that kind of stuff happens. And this goes back to the point that I've made previously where is is this the end of the world when stuff like that happens? Say with like you had two different clients instead of just core, no, it's not the end of the world. Like it happens, it's bad, but it's not the end of the world.
1: Yeah, but it's, it's also nice to see like, or to find these bugs before they happen. Or I don't know, like they happen in a small way, I guess. But Guardian's got an interesting thread about some Ordinals people freaking out about um, a Regorg or a, an Orphan Block, and it kind of messed up their their game. So,
2: ah, <laughs> Guardian, you want to pop in here and talk to us about it? Yeah, Guardian is saying that uh, Ordinals.com is down because they temporarily broke Bitcoin because the fees in their mint block were too high and caused a chain reorg.
1: Oh, uh, no, it's up.
2: I think what they I mean to say to. is Yeah, it's still up. It sounds like they got orphaned. Yeah. Somewhere else was orphaned because they...
1: Yeah, they minted on the orphan, orphan block. Like, they minted a bunch of JPEGs on, on an orphan block. That orphan block doesn't get anywhere so they kind of like maybe they uh and because
2: they do everything based on the order yeah. of UTXOs <laughs> to do their stupid shit they broke because now the order is broken oh that's rich that's funny i love it that is so dumb
1: there's another uh, fun thing coming um i got this developer i, th- I think his name is super test and I gave I gave him this idea to build like an ordinal front runner where you can like analyze the mempool and like render whatever JPEGs are um, waiting to be confirmed. And then you can just like copy and paste it into your own UTXO and front run the uh, the unconfirmed JPEG and with a higher fee so you can just. Kinda
2: what's the what's the point in that?
1: Well, like, it's all about order. Um, then you're basically stealing their JPEG and confirming it. Yeah,
2: but it was worthless in the first place. True, true. <laughs> you just paid fees for it. I don't know. It's just some fuckery that you can do.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> that entire protocol is just ripe for fuckery because of the way that they quote-unquote ups- inscribe UTXOs.
1: Well my thing is like every UTXO is actually an ordinal. It's like like when you take ordinal theory to its logical conclusion, all UTXOs are ordinals. They just don't have a picture, maybe.
2: I don't I don't even know how to respond to something that dumb. Yeah, it is kinda of dumb. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, okay. Moving on. Fucking ordinals. I am not looking forward to this next bull market. I'm not looking forward to it at all, yet. We are going to have so much new shitcoin fuckery. And by all evidence, it's going to be so much more embedded in the Bitcoin ecosystem. They have taken our criticism of Bitcoin, not blockchain, to heart and don't want to use blockchains anymore or rather they want to use blockchains in layers and now the message needs to be no like all blockchains are bad even the ones in layers off chain is the way that we can scale things and we're just going to need to modify a lot of the narrative that we as bitcoiners have been talking about in terms of um shit coins because they believe that being on bitcoin is what's going to absolve them of their shitcoinery, but it's not if it, you're running a scam on bitcoin it's still a scam just because you're using bitcoin you're not going to get bitcoiners support and we need to solidify language that we're going to use to describe these scams we need to simplify the process of identifying scams so that people have verbiage in their minds and know what they're looking for to identify these layers that are attempting to screw them over so like I'll give you an example of one really easy way to identify if somebody's trying to scam you. If they're selling you something that as uncopyable and unique and non-fungible, but you can copy it with left click, you're being scammed. That's, that's a really easy rule to follow. If you can apply that, you're good. If somebody is trying to print something for free and sell it to you as having value, you're being scammed. That's, that's simple enough there, too. So we need to really just kind of double down on these simple ways you can identify whether even a Bitcoin layer is trying to take advantage of you.
1: Yeah, my problem is there's a a bunch of useful idiot Bitcoiners who are Bitcoiners in name only, and they're just kind of running with this stuff and really showing their true colors. But at the same time, they're like, oh, this is great for Bitcoin. And like, therefore, it's fine. I I have such a problem with all this stuff. So um, it seems to be coming from the Twitter crowd mostly, but it's it's also uh, sort of the newer newbies to this ecosystem. So I'm kind of I'm on the Francis page because he he is right about the culture of Bitcoin. Like it needs to be. there needs to be a contingent of very toxic people that are just driving the culture in a, in the right way. Um, so I don't know. I, hopefully this is one of the places for that, but I don't know. Twitter... I agree that
2: that's true. We do need to be toxic, but it's the like part where we drive it in the right way. We need, we need to be very aware and selective of where we direct our toxicity there's a a lot of anybody attacking me is a shit coiner or anybody that says my view about Bitcoin is wrong is anti-Bitcoin and that's not necessarily true.
1: Yeah, there's friendly fire too. So like, I don't know, it's hard to verify like who all these people are and like what page they're on. So you kind of assume the worst sometimes and you really shouldn't. Uh, especially if you're talking to like Bitcoin developers. Um, it, like, they get a little involved in their work. Yeah, just be nice and very diplomatic, I think is the idea.
2: Well, do you remember the the big fight we had between Nell C. Greg and Luke Jr. Yeah. during the <laughs> Taproot fight and um... how they were just at each other's throats, calling each other as attackers on Bitcoin all this kind of nastiness, and it kind of culminated with with Greg demanding that Luke get banned from the subreddit and stuff like that. No, not
1: banned, removed as a, um, a Bitcoin expert flair. He wanted his flair removed. Right. <laughs> Maybe he asked for a ban later, but I don't know. I think that was how it started. That was a very open, like like here's your dirty laundry everybody (laughs) Uh, it just became
2: so personal It's, it's so frequently in these fights it seems like there's an inability to remain any way detached or technically objective about what's happening it's all emotionally charged accusations and stuff it's well this is is another comment
1: that's been said before and it was said by james um the author of oak vault is that these these developers don't have a very high social um like so so, uh, emotional intelligence iq like they're very technically in like intelligent they're like they're top of the top of the food chain but they are they're not very like social uh, nice tease kind of thing. So
2: I'm not one to throw stones in a glass house. I'm probably the most socially inept person I know, but they could they could be a little bit thicker skinned would be my criticism of developers. <laughs> they, they could be more prepared for the antagonism and animosity of an adversarial ecosystem.
1: Yeah, I think they give it as much as they get, so it's like fair game. I kind of understand the reactions Whoa. that they give They give off. It becomes
2: schoolyard bullshit so quickly.
1: Yeah.
2: I would like to see a lot more maturity from people who disagree in the ecosystem. And by that, I don't necessarily mean, you know, quit calling each other fuckwits, because... <laughs> Let's be honest. There's a lot of foot wickery going on here. I'm not certainly not going to slow down calling out, for example, Coin Kite or Francis, even though I think they're some of the better actors in the space. When I think they're fucking up, I- I'm going to say so. I, but that that doesn't mean that we can't be a little bit more careful with how we're directing fire and you know be doing so with thicker skin. Like we we can go out, we can skirmish, and then we can shake hands and have a beer. Yeah, that'd be great. Which is what we're doing now. We, we fight about everything, you and I. like We don't we don't agree on all manner of stuff, whether it comes to perceived developer influence in Bitcoin, to BIPs like CTV, we're on opposite sides of that one. And like that is how it's going to be in an ecosystem like this where Bitcoin is all things to all people and a platform for everyone. It's going to be a platform for people you disagree with. And we need to just get on board with that and just get really good at disagreeing with each other.
1: know hopefully we raise the discourse a little bit
2: that's what needs to happen we need we need the discourse to raise in quality a little bit we need i think more people willing to say i don't know yet um for example uh during the ctv debacle everyone was so quick to come out with these impassioned opinions on what ctv was once It became obvious that they were going to try for an activation method that they didn't actually stop to think about what it was or do did anything. So, for example, um, Andreas, Andreas came out. I don't even think he had read the bip, and he started sowing misinformation about it being used to censor people that were using exchange. Kind of the same fud we were just talking about here. I, I think he was actually one of the primary sources of that misinformation and it's just so technically dishonest. It is. It just betrays that a lot of the discussion that happened around, for example, CTV was born from a desire to influence, to be front-running this discussion. This is what people are talking about. I need to be in the front of it, as opposed to careful consideration and evaluation and review, which is what we need. Everybody was so eager to have an opinion, so eager to defend Bitcoin, whether it was being attacked or not, and I'd like it, that's a dangerous culture to have. Defense is good, but uh, this you know re- violent reactionary response, this eagerness to misunderstand, this following of influencers and their interpretations, especially shitcoin influencers and their interpretations of bips, is dangerous. We need, as Rathman just said, an informed defense. And that starts with you and me and everyone else reading the bips. You want to know how something works? Go read it. We can figure this out together. We don't need influencers telling us what we think. Garange says, you can be mean, but back it up with facts, not ad-homs. And um, I definitely agree. The the tone of, of a discussion... I think should matter a lot less in Bitcoin land. I know that we're all human, I know that we've all got feelings, but it would be so nice if we could just detach ourselves a little bit from those feelings and focus more on the facts than the wrapping that those facts came in. Because as was noted, not a lot of devs have extraordinary social skills. A lot of people don't have extraordinary social skills in this ecosystem. I'm one of them. And it's an adversarial ecosystem. So inherently, it draws combative people and combative personalities. I just think that devs could be a lot more prepared for that.
1: Yeah I wonder what could help with that because like maybe there's some kind of support mechanism that could be could be organized um, just to not not put them through like the ringer but like kind of just Maybe like a war room on their on their BIP could be organized, and they can they can they can have like a very positive environment, surrounded by knowledgeable people, kind of just giving them feedback on the spot and in a supportive way. I, like that'd be fun. Um, I know I know there's like Bit devs. I think there's a lot of Bit dev meetings in in different uh, cities. Uh, they're kind of like Bitcoin meetups, but they're more—they're much more technical. There's kind of like seminars, more like that. So, that might be a help, uh, like a helpful mechanism.
2: Yeah, there's lots of conferences and workshops at conferences doing similar too. and Like you said, a couple of meetups that are highly technical. That's, and then we've got you know like the dev list where this discussion is happening and these back and forths in the Git as well. Anyways, I want to highlight this comment that Gorange made, which was um, honestly, if you can't do the work to understand a topic, probably don't comment on it, regardless of what your favorite expert said. Um, And I want to comment on that in that I don't think that just because you don't know something means that you shouldn't engage on it, but I think you should engage on it much as we have here going in saying, I don't know exactly how OpVault works. This is my current level of understanding. This is what I'm wrapping my head around. This is where I see similarities with, for example, CTV and mechanisms that CTV did, and I'm interested in these things. But like we talk about what we understand, and when we don't know something, that's an opportunity for us to learn. We didn't know what the uh, lock time threshold was for CLTV today so we went we learned it we didn't remember uh the implementation differences between cltv and csv so we went and we learned them that's what i would like to see more of in the bitcoin ecosystem a little bit more willingness to say i don't know and that's okay because this this ecosystem is so so vast and so technically detailed it is a huge forefront in cryptography and computer sciences and economics and this meeting of interdisciplinary fields, leave your ego at the door. Nobody knows shit. I don't know shit. Ph don't know shit. You don't know shit. Anybody pretending to know shit just wants your attention.
1: Yeah, reserve your judgment.
2: Anyways, we've been going about an hour and a half. That's probably a good enough place to call it. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, we also had a comment from Renee. Uh, he kind of responded back to our. Our last talk uh he he did clarify that andreas did have a lot to do with uh the creation and the publishing and the education around mastering lightning and i'm going through that book at the moment it's pretty good uh so yeah um, maybe there is some redemption out there for some of our shit coiners.
2: that is a message that we can i'd like to hit on yeah. there's always redemption For all of you shitcoiners, all you've got to do is turn your boat around. There isn't redemption for Andreas because he hasn't turned the boat around. He wants to have his cake and eat it too. He wants to keep shitcoining while throwing little crumbs to bitcoiners, pretending he is a bitcoiner. But he's just profiting off of the greed of others and enabling harm. So no, that's not how you get your pass. You get your pass by doing a 180.
1: All right. Well, thanks everyone for uh, listening to us again. And uh, hopefully this was educational. Um, I guess we'll do this again uh, another time. Cheers.
2: I would love to do this again another time and come join us. I want to hear you talk. That's really important to me. Come bring your ridiculous things you don't know. Say, I don't know with us and let's learn together.